If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me, and uh, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 17. 17. Unlocking the end times, an inside book, look at the book of Revelation. And now we're talking about the woman and the beast. Revelation 17 and 18. In fact, today, at this session, we begin looking at two of the most intriguing chapters in all of the Bible. But of course, that means they're hotly contested and often challenged. And indeed they are. Uh, We're going to talk about Babylon. Babylon. And uh, here's an interesting statistic for you. One out of nine verses in Revelation deals with Babylon. Isn't that shocking? Forty-four verses out of 404 deal with Babylon. That's, I think, around 11%, if my math serves me right. Of all the book of Revelation deals with Babylon. What is Babylon? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and even as we begin today, we invite you, Holy Spirit, the one who gave the word, the one who understands the precise and specific meaning. We pray that you would illumine our minds, Lord, that you would give us the understanding of who you are and what you tell us for the tomorrows of our life so that we may indeed live in a way that honors and glorifies you. Bless your word and our ears as we hear, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What is Babylon? Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Some say that Babylon simply means the world. Others believe that it is a symbolism for Jerusalem or Rome or even the United States of America. Some say, well, that might be New York City. (laughs) My friend, let's just consider that maybe it's what God says it is. Is it a futuristic, reborn, real city named Babylon? You know, both of these chapters, 17 and 18, deal with the false counterfeit religious system of the world and its involvement in economic and political affairs. Chapter 17 reveals Babylon in its mystery form as a religious system of false worship that has permeated the world. Chapter 18 then goes on to describe Babylon as a political commercial system embodied 
I believe in a rebuilt actual future city of Babylon. In fact, as in all of Revelation, there's more here than meets the eye. You know, Old Testament and New Testament prophecies regarding Babylon remain largely unfulfilled. Zechariah 5, verses 5 to 11, Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51. The major Old Testament prophecies are in those sections. This is the world's center of power, and once again it will return, I believe, to the ancient city of Babylon in order for those unfulfilled biblical prophecies to be fulfilled. What John is now doing as we come to chapter 17 after the wrath, it's not over yet, but he's explaining how the Antichrist is going to achieve his political power. And what we see is that there's a religious system and a political structure that enables him to rule the entire world, if only for a short time. If I were to ask you, uh, in what city do you live in? You see, basically in the scriptures, there's two cities. There are two loves that are always contrasted with one another. The Bible takes these two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. Both are introduced in Genesis, both climaxed in the book of Revelation. Jerusalem is the city of God and Babylon the city of man or the city of Satan. And every person today and everyone living in the final day of the tribulation is going to identify with either the city of false religion or the city of the bride of the Messiah. Let's look at the symbol of deception that the woman presents. As we begin this picture in Revelation chapter 17, verse 3 says, He carried me away and the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names. If we look at verse 5, we see the name on the forehead of this woman, mystery, Babylon the Great. If you drop down to verse 18, Verse 18 in Revelation chapter 17, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. The great city whose name, the Bible says, is Babylon. Now let's take a look at the power of her seduction, this incredible city. The Bible says that she's a harlot, in verse 1, who sits on many waters. And God describes this woman as a great prostitute, one who wields immense power throughout history. And there's clear indication that she has spread her tentacles far and wide. All the kings of the earth fall for her seductive spin. And there's something very intoxicating about her and what she portrays. Well, what's the point of this? That there is a false opposing religious system throughout our world that claims to worship God but doesn't know the first thing about the one true living God. God calls it spiritual immorality. And this harlot has affected people the world over. God will judge and destroy her once for all. Once the true church is raptured, the vacuum is created for the false church to flourish. All remaining systems, all remaining religious systems are going to somehow, I don't understand it, they're going to somehow come together and make one super world religion. Look at verse 15. 
He said to me, the waters which you saw, back to verse 1, she sits on many waters. What are those waters? Well, verse 15 explains. Always look for a Bible verse that explains the Bible. The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages, tongues. And so we see this thing explains, of course, that peoples and multitudes, nations, and languages that her control impacts the entire world. Now notice the portrayal of her sin. And what a wild depiction we have here. We've got a twisted beauty and the beast. That's kind of what we're looking at in this picture. In fact, there's three pictures that we see here. First of all, the beast that she rides to prominence. Uh, John says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, verse 3. And this woman is riding on the same beast that we saw back in chapter 13, verse 1, the Antichrist. Evidently, she has a close relationship with the Antichrist, even dominating and controlling, much like a rider would a horse for a time. She's dressed in gaudy clothes. She's wearing purple and scarlet, the most expensive cloth available in the ancient world. And man, does she glitter with jewels. By the way, what a contrast to the qualities of a godly woman in 1 Peter chapter 3. In her hand, there's a gold cup. Boy, it looks good on the outside, but inside are all the atrocities, the abominable things that you can imagine. And to the people of earth, she looks good with a religion that they want. Notice the birth that she gives. And here's a depiction of this woman, of this system, energized from the pit of hell, that she actually gives birth to all the false religions. The mother of, verse 5 says, the source, the fountainhead of all the abominations of the earth. Never a woman had a name like this one. The name written is a mystery. That means there's something deeper here. And when you look at Isaiah 47 and Isaiah 48 and Jeremiah 50 and 51, the mystery that John unveils is that the spiritual idolatry of Babylon is going to be revived. It's going to control the great world power in the last days. And this Babylon woman is the mother of all false religions, the occultic religion that started in Babylon way back in the beginning of the Scriptures has now permeated all of history, right down to our present day. Satan's counterfeits have appeared in so many countries and cultures, but now they reach the epitome of their darkness during the tribulation period. Let me give you a little history. Ancient records indicate that Nimrod had a wife named Simeriamus, who was the founder, the first high priestess of the Babylonian mystery religion. She gave birth to a son named Tammuz, whom she claimed was conceived by a sunbeam, miraculously a false imitation of the virgin birth. This is a true legend. And this son was considered savior of his people, in effect was the first false messiah, a counterfeit of what God said in Genesis 3.15 and God's promise there that a savior would come. It was here that the cultic worship of the mother and child began to be spread throughout the world. The mother was called the queen of heaven. And so today there are idols picturing the mother as the queen of heaven with a babe in her arms found throughout the ancient world with religious rites. 
supposedly promising cleansing from sin. Now, often the names are changed depending on the nation and the culture, but no matter where you would go, pictures and images of a mother with a child in her arms were found in Assyria and Nineveh. She's called Ishtar. What's that sound like? Easter. And her son is Tammuz. In Phoenicia, she was called Astarte or Ashtaroth. And her son was Baal or Baal in Tammuz. In Egypt, she's called Isis and her son Osiris. In Greece, she's called Aphrodite and her son called Eros. Among the Romans, she's found as Venus and her son is Cupid. In Canaan, the pagan worship of Baal was another form of the same mystery religion originating in Babylon. Canaan was filled with this iniquity and is one of the reasons that God commanded Israel to destroy them. It's difficult to comprehend the extent to which this mother of harlots has infected our entire world, infecting Christianity as well. The Bible goes on to say that the blood she spills of believers in Jesus is significant. He says right here in 17, he says, I saw the woman drunk with blood. Verse 6, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs. One of the most amazing aspects of religious history is the hatred of other religions against Jesus Christ and his followers. But this woman not only persecutes, she revels in it as a drunk revels in his booze. She's intoxicated with killing believers. And to those who preach the truth, she reacts with violence and slaughter. In fact, come with me to the surprise at the disclosure of this mystery. Beginning in verse 7, the angel said to me, what do you, why do you marvel? He's shocked. He's surprised. I will tell you the mystery of the woman. What's the mystery? Of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. John is amazed at what he sees. And now notice the wonder that John expresses. Why do you marvel? He's just sitting there amazed. You know why he's amazed? I think he's amazed because John knew political persecution. He wasn't banished to the island of Patmos for nothing. But in this future day, it will be religious persecution. Corruption resulting in a false church that goes after the blood of the saints. And in this case, the mystery is tied to the beast that carries her. The Antichrist literally using this false religious system as an instrument, a tool to accomplish his nefarious purposes. Empowered from the pit of hell, the beast, the world ruler of the last earthly kingdom... In fact, look with me at verse 8. Look at what it says. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. We're talking about the revival of the last world empire. He once was, and you know that world empire of Rome was never conquered. It just fell apart. Now is not, John is writing, now is not, but will come up. A revival of the last world empire, and John marvels at this. Notice the witness that the non-believers will experience. For in verse 8, it simply says, And those who dwell on the earth will marvel or wonder as well, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was 
and is not, and yet is. Once was, and then it wasn't, and now it is again. They wonder. It was written in the book of life. These names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation. What book is that? It's the book that God keeps in heaven of the saved of all the ages. Only those whose names are written in that book will be admitted into heaven. Jesus said if your name is written in that book, it's cause for great, great, great rejoicing. Amen, church? We all have address books. We have books of family genealogy and all kinds of books like that, but God has his books too. One set of his books records everything that happens on planet Earth. But he also has the Lamb's book of life that records all the names of the redeemed. And so we see the witness, but we see the wisdom that begins to explain what this means. Here is the mind, verse 9 says, which has wisdom. And then he goes on, beginning to peel this thing back and put it all together so that we can at least understand some of it. The seven heads are seven world kingdoms. The first question we come to as we look at verse 9, the seven heads, what are they? Well, there's seven mountains on which the woman sits. Some say, well, the seven heads are, are seven mountains, and since Rome is built on seven hills, the city must be Rome. But you've got to keep reading. Look at verse 10. There are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Verse 9 says, The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. And so as we look at that, we realize that the seven mountains are the seven heads or seven kings. Five have fallen. Five great world empires, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. One is Rome. You know, there's not been a true world empire since. And the sixth head or empire receives a fatal wound, but will be brought back to life as the seventh world empire. And so the beast with seven heads represents world government throughout human history. Seven heads or seven world kingdoms, the seventh empire, lasts for a short time. Verse 11 says, The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. He comes to power out of the revived Roman Empire, but when he does come, he must remain a little while. Isn't that interesting that there's going to be another world empire? And it's not going to be China. It's not going to be the United States of America. Well, what's it going to be? Well, the eighth empire is the beast. That's what it is. He comes to power and he develops a ten-nation confederacy over which he then takes complete control to the point that the Antichrist becomes the eighth empire himself. The beast is world government and revealed in one world leader, the Antichrist, but his fate is clear. The Bible says he's headed to destruction, perdition. But how's that going to happen? Well, it's amazing. There's a war that ends their opposition. Look with me at verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour 
as kings with the beast. They are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. And these will make war with the Lamb. And of course the Lamb is going to win. The powerful predatory beast wages war against the meek and lowly Lamb. You talk about a Rocky movie. Man, you talk about being outsized and overwhelmed, so it appears. And suddenly the beast realizes that this lamb is really the lion, king of the jungle. And with him, the Bible says, with him, he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Boy, what a challenge. Is that you? Romans 8.28 says that believers are called. That's how you come to Christ. Are you one of the chosen? Ephesians 1.4 says, before the foundation of the world. Are you one of the, the faithful, one of the marks of a true believer as they persevere? But first, before the beast is destroyed, he destroys the harlot. And we have the suddenness Of destruction of the woman. Well, I'm missing something here. We'll just leave it there. Look with me at verse 15. He said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, and make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. For the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, the Antichrist needs this woman. In fact, he kind of rides to power on her back, so to speak, as he pulls the whole world together. He uses the false religious system to do that, and he becomes her biggest fan. But once his power has been consolidated, he, along with the ten nations, suddenly turns on her. And at the middle of the seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist will turn and destroy this religious system. This is where we're going in chapter 18. He usurps the place of God in the temple, declares himself to be God, demands that everyone worship him, and ultimately, of course, he will not tolerate any other worship except of himself. We see the culmination of intense hatred here. Notice that they will hate the harlot. They will hate the harlot. Easy to forget, isn't it? That the political powers of this world tolerate religious beliefs. But they really have no desire for them. The government will take her massive wealth and strip the one world religion Naked. We see also the control of the Almighty. You know, there are many that do not like the book of Revelation because of all the terror and the wrath that it holds. And they say, oh man, don't preach that. But there's one great comforting truth. I want you to look at verse 17. This just needs to help you sit back and have peace. Lower your stress level. We find this reminder time after time in the book of Revelation. And I want you to notice it. 
God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose. Isn't that interesting? Here they are, they're going to turn against this false religious system. They're going to take it out, but friend, it's all because ultimately that God is in control. Nothing happens outside His direction and will. You know, God has often used a wicked nation to be an instrument of His judgment against another wicked group. The Bible speaks of that many times. He uses the worst to accomplish even His good purposes. I said that one day and the 90-year-old lawyer came up to me and said, Pastor, I've never understood why God doesn't take Satan out. What possible good reason could he have for Satan? I said, well, you see, God really wants people to make a clear-cut choice to love and worship the one true living God. So that means you're going to have to have a good, strong option. And that's why Satan is there. The lust of the flesh, the world, Satan himself. Boy, what an option. How strong is it? We have to make a decision, don't we? What a test it really is. Yes, God can squish that guy like a grape any time. And his days are numbered. I think he knows it, don't you? Well, not one jot or tittle of God's Word is going to pass away until it's all fulfilled, my friend. As Revelation 17 ends, please notice Babylon is going down. The mother of all the harlotry. In fact, it would be fascinating. I would love to do this. And that is to trace the historical development of all the false religions from Babylon. That's amazing. You know, in John's day, there was no doubt which city reigned over the kings of the earth. And it wasn't Babylon. It was Rome. Rome was the political, economic, and religious center of the world. But behind it all, what John sees, he's seeing a mystery, and it's unfolding. And the city of religious Babylon, it's had the greatest influence and control down through the ages. How many times do you think it's mentioned in the Bible? Nearly 300. 295 times. It's second in terms of amount mentioned only to Jerusalem. And those two cities are always in opposition. Babylon is the first international political and religious ecumenical movement in the history of man. And it has never ceased to exist in one form or another. Jerusalem, on the other hand, that's the result of God's call of a man by the name of Abraham and a nation that he made out of nothing, Israel, to perpetuate his plan of salvation through whom the Messiah the Savior of the world would come. Genesis chapter 10 was the first attempt at world unity apart from dependence upon God. And the Tower of Babel was really about creating a new religion. And the Bible traces all false religions back to that source. It was a satanic attempt to divert worship away from the one true living God Himself. And from the very beginning, Babylon was associated with sorcery and astrology. If you've ever read a horoscope, Babylon. Down through history, the linkage of gods and goddesses with the religion of the Babylonians is well established. The connection to Babylon is still apparent today and will experience explosive growth during the first part of the tribulation. Behind it all, a false system of worship which is a masterpiece of Satan. It's an extremely clever counterfeit which has deceived the nations of the world. Now we come to the announcement of its fall 
in chapter 18, verse 1. After these things. Well, we've seen that before. We saw it back in chapter 4, verse 1, where John wrote, After these things I saw a door standing open in heaven. And now he says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he, this mighty angel, cries out with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. We looked at the destruction of religious Babylon in chapter 17. But now we're having the same kind of destructive judgment for the commercial, political, the economic Babylon. Yes, there will be a one-world religion. Yes, there will be a one-world government. Yes, they will both be opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the people who follow Him, and to the one true living God. Many people today... They not only lack genuine saving faith in Christ, but they have their hope and they have their trust firmly anchored to a different world, a world of finance. That's where their hope is. A world of business. And a world of politics. And here it all crashes and burns. It is the place where the demons gather. This is what John saw. Loud voice, Babylon the great is fallen and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean buzzard and hated birds. The power behind the throne is clearly identified as satanic. We're talking demonic here. It becomes a hideout of demons and evil spirits, a nest for filthy buzzards It will be demonic to the core. All the evil demons that were released from the pit that David spoke about earlier will be gathered in Babylon like a menagerie of the filthiest birds. You know, I read this and I thought of that old movie that I saw when I was, man, The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock. Confession's good for the soul. How many saw that movie? Oh, man, birds never look. Don't, don't see it. Man, it was incredible. I hate those horror movies. But anyway, somehow I saw that. But I, I looked at this and I thought, oh man, Lord, you talk about filthy birds going after you. The pursuit of immorality and pleasure is an issue here in verse 3. It says, all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxuality, luxury, or they became rich by the wealth of her sensuality. We're reminded here why God is bringing this city down. Her influence worldwide, her immorality, well known. Her interest is wealth and wealth alone. Do you have an independent spirit that seeks security and happiness apart from God? You know, luxuries are not necessarily wrong in themselves. I mean, we all live in the lap of luxury compared with the vast majority of this world. But if those luxuries are allowed to usurp God's place in our hearts, 
than wrong they are. One of the best ways I know to guard against the dark spirits of greed is to continue to give it away. Give it away to needy people. Give it away to missions. Give it away to causes that advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And now, listen to this in verse 4. What an appeal. John says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This is the appeal to God's people, calling believers to get out. Get out now. And I don't know what that reminds you of biblically, but please notice the protection that God desires for all of His people. This is an aorist imperative of urgency. And God says, do it now. Don't delay. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember that great story? Come out. Make a decision. Separate yourself mentally and physically from your passionate involvement with this whole system of life. Living for the here and now. Living for the pleasure. Amassing luxuries. My friend, this is God's will for each of us. The world's going to burn. This is a call to every believer to avoid compromise with satanic world system, whether it's religious or whether it's commercial in nature. Why is that? Two reasons there in verse 4. It says simply this, lest you share in her sins, and lest you, my people, receive of her plagues. You know, whenever God gives us a command, it's because He loves us. And He wants not only to provide for us, but to protect us from the consequences of evil and sin in our lives. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. The root that must be cut in our lives and our hearts is the love of money. Not money. Love of money. Those who fall in love with this whole system will experience the results of misery and loss in their own lives. I mean, all of us know people who built their entire life on what they had and now it's been crumbling. In just a little bit, we begin to understand what's going to happen to this world. Friend, God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we're going to reap, and now we come to the payment that Babylon will receive. Beginning in verse 5, For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Remember to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed. Mix for her double. There are several reasons that God brings His judgment, but this is the summary. Her sins have piled up. And the word means literally to weld together or to glue together like you're putting one brick on top of another. What does that remind you of? Remember that tower called Babel all the way back? Uh Uh-huh. Don't miss this. God doesn't suffer from amnesia, my friend. God does not forget. God does not ignore sin. He allows the sin of defiance, the Bible says, to build up high as the heavens, but finally... Judgment comes. By the way, God does choose to forget. The only way God forgets is if He grants you forgiveness. The Bible says there are sins and iniquities I will remember no more. You know what? I'm counting on that. Are you? All because of Jesus, my friend. Now notice the pride that God will not overlook. It's in verse 7. In the same measure, measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, Oh, I sit as a queen. 
I'm no widow. I will not see sorrow. You think you're impregnable? The people at the Tower of Babel wanted to make a name for themselves. Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 29 says, Babylon has been proud against the Lord. And you see that pride right here. She sits like a queen, boasting that she will never see sorrow. Therefore, the Bible says, her plagues will come in one day. You know, there's a thread of pride that runs all the way through all these false satanic systems, going all the way back to Isaiah chapter 14, Satan's five I wills. I'm going to resist a rabbit trail right there and keep moving. I want you to see the sorrow, the anguish of all of the world's leaders. Beginning in verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas! Alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Hey, I get an email every time the stock market drops 150 to 200 points. I've been getting a lot of emails lately. Boy, when the market falls down, you hear a little wailing, a little pain. People who are retired like some of you relying on that. But can you imagine this day? The first thing that we notice is the politicians weep. The politicians weep. That's what it says. The kings of the earth, they begin to weep. You know what Jay Leno points out? He points out that the word politics comes from a combination of two words. Politics. Poly, which means many, and ticks, which means bloodsuckers. <laughs> oh, forgive me. Anyway, uh, I truly feel sorry for those who place their hope and trust in political solutions. They'll weep and mourn. The Bible speaks of uncontrollable sobbing. When they turn on the 6 p.m. news and see that in which they put their hope and their trust go up in flames, they lose it. They literally come unglued. Look at verse 10. Standing at a distance. Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city. It's like they just cannot believe it. And they repeat how great. They repeated how impregnable this city was. But in one moment of time, it all changes. When Babylon, the financial control center of the world, falls, friend, the whole system falls. You know, don't you, that riches can be snatched from us at any moment. The uncertainty of riches, Paul wrote. In fact, life can be taken from us in a moment. And after the politicians weep, then the Bible goes on to say the business people mourn. Verse 11, And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn. No one buys their merchandise anymore. And it goes on to list nearly 30 kinds. UPS, FedEx, all the shipping people are in agony. All they can think about is their business losses. You know, consumerism is now the major ism of the world and oh how the business people grieve when now they've lost their ability to trade in fact some 29 almost 30 commodities are listed in this passage how would you feel if the luxuries of our life which we just so desperately need would suddenly go up and smoke would it break your heart 
would you lose your joy? Or is your heart set on things above? Is it really true the joy of the Lord is my strength? Is that really true in our lives, beloved? There's a foolish rich man in Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And in addition, the transportation people wail. Their lifestyle derived from this city will disappear from the earth. Look at verse 17. In one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, as many as trade on the sea, stood at the distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? I mean, an incredible city. And yet, while the unsaved world is mourning, the saints in heaven are rejoicing. You say, really? Oh, yeah. Look at this. It's an affirmation of justice that rings all through the halls of heaven. Beginning in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Many of those martyred, no doubt because of her. And then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. I want you to notice something. There's a command here to rejoice. Rejoice over her, O heaven. You say, man, that sounds strange. To rejoice in the pain of suffering God's judgment? Oh no, the... The rejoicing is not really so much as at judgment and destruction and pain as it is at justice and a righteous resolution to the problem of sin. Yeah, heaven rejoices. Not over the condemnation of sinners, never. God gets no pleasure from the death of the wicked, the Bible says. But because of the triumph of Christ and the arrival of His kingdom on earth, yes, there is a command to rejoice. There's a catastrophe now that destroys. In fact, there's a repetitive word that is in these verses that keeps coming back like the sounding of a bell. Never, 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 any longer. This catastrophe will be sudden, it will be violent, it will be absolutely total, and Babylon will be wiped off the face of the earth, gone. Friend, the party is over. The lights are out. Never. Let me just stop and pause there for a moment and say years ago I used to think that Babylon had already been totally destroyed. And I began to study the issues of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Zechariah 5 with Revelation 17 and 18. And I began to realize that Babylon has been continued to be occupied. It was never, those, those prophecies were never absolutely, totally fulfilled. Well, if they haven't been fulfilled, we know they will be fulfilled, right? And if Babylon as such doesn't exist today, then guess what? We're going to have the rise of Babylon. Now, Saddam Hussein thought that he was the anointed one to do that. He called himself the second Nebuchadnezzar. He started rebuilding Babylon, in case you don't know that. 
It's had a setback in these days, but it's coming. And all of this, why? Because a consequence for sin. Look at verse 23. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her were found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on earth. Sounds like an autopsy. I mean, look at verse 4, in her, like they opened her up, was found the blood of the prophets and saints. Babylon's dead system reveals the truth, and God brings it out. You know, each of us, as we think about this, have to examine our own lives. When God decided to bless Abraham and use him to be a channel of blessing to the world, his first test came. When God said, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees, get out. Get out of that idolatrous place. And you follow me to a land that I will give you. Get out of your country, Abraham. What a picture of repentance that is. My friend, we need to turn our back on any false god that has an inroad into our lives. We need to leave our past. Jesus said, you come. You follow me. Where do you make your home, my friend? Where is it? I was interested this morning. I found a verse in Jeremiah. And you know the destruction of Babylon, the city, will be so complete. The Bible says that it will make you a burnt mountain and they shall not take from you a stone for a corner nor a stone for a foundation. In other words, all those bricks that you used to build that Tower of Babel, well, I want to tell you in the future, there is going to be such a destruction coming that they won't even take one brick. There won't be one left. And that's what is coming for this false religious system and for this false economic and political system. My friend, we live in this world. We're reminded constantly. The question is, does the world live in us? Remember, 25 years ago I was dating Ruth. Somebody had a nice 47-foot double-masted sailboat anchored down here in Southern California. And we left Long Beach Harbor and we went 27 miles across the sea. Santa Catalina is waiting for me. You know the story. And I was just amazed. I'd never done that before in my life. I mean, man, we're up on deck watching this thing trucking through the water. And you know, you see all that water and this... this What we thought was a big boat, 47 feet long, is now just a little bug on this massive ocean. And man, you think about all that water, and about that time, these skiers, I guess every year they ski from Long Beach to Catalina and see who can win with these great, big, powerful, you know, boats and 
great big skis and a guy just lock on there and I don't know what happens to their legs after 27 <laughs> miles skiing. I don't think they'll be able to walk for a week. But they roared past us. But you know, I got thinking about that. You know, we're out here in this massive ocean. But as long as the ocean is outside the boat, we're okay. But if the ocean gets inside the boat, we're toast. We're not to be isolated as Christians. But we are by the power of the Holy Spirit and our love for Christ and the fellowship and the commitment that we have in relations with each other and with our God. We're to be insulated. We're to move in the midst of evil, but we're to be untouched by it. You say, is that really even possible? That's God's will, my friend. That's what God wants for every single one of us. What a day this is going to be when the mother of all harlots used for a moment of time to thrust the final world empire before our king returns and then absolutely destroyed. Don't be surprised if one of these days you hear in a general assembly of the United Nations that they've decided that they're going to build their headquarters in Babylon. Perfect situation near the geographical center of the entire earth. Not far from incredible shipping lanes. I mean, that could be the place. And I believe it's going to come. Father, we thank you for the challenge all the way through your word. Love not the world, neither the things in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father. Lord, we know the whole world and all of its system is going to burn. God, I pray that you would use this Bible prophecy to clean us up, Lord. To help us once again open our hearts in every closet door that we have. And ask you, Lord, to just help us to love you and serve you with every ounce that we have. For as long as you give us. I pray for everyone here today that whatever their needs are, they would find them not by depending or relying on some political, financial, business system, but ultimately they would cry out to you. God, we love you and thank you for your plan in Christ's name and all God's people said. Amen. As always, some time for questions, so please come on up to the microphone. If you have a question, just come on forward. If you don't mind, Dr. Seifert, I have a question for you. Sure. At the end of chapter 17 of Revelation, in verse 16, we see a turning uh, of the kings against the woman. Talk a little bit about that. Why, why would they turn against a system that they had previously loved so much? One, it, um, they loved it simply because they needed it. They needed somehow to get the whole world together so that out of this religious system and connection where people's hearts and pocketbooks and allegiances uh, 
are tied together, that they could then put up their puppet leader who becomes the beast, the Antichrist. And then the kings turn against this system and to destroy it so that the Antichrist can indeed fulfill every aspect of his prophesied picture that he will be in the stead of Christ. That he will require everyone to worship him and worship him alone. That's what I would say, Neil. Yes. In the ten, ten kings, do you think that uh, the United States is among the ten kings? I don't think so. Um, but I don't know for sure. It's really interesting, even, even just recently, within the last month, the uh, European common market, 23 nations, because of all the economic stuff that's been happening in Europe, the real strong ones got together, and um, they have come up with a new terminology for the core of the European common market. It is called the ten. Isn't that interesting? It's happened this last month. The ten. Now as I look over those ten, I'm thinking, Luxembourg? Come on. You know, I don't know. And we want to see it. I'm not sure we see any of it yet. It would make sense to me if those ten kings would divide parts of this world, kind of. But that revived Roman Empire, how does it come out of that revived Roman Empire? The empire that was and is not and yet will be, and out of that whole thing this comes. So it's very fascinating. We're going to, for me, we'll wait and see. Yes. Samuel. Right? Do you think it's possible that the Catholic Church uh, is the woman that rides the beast? It's interesting. Uh, uh, Do you think the Catholic Church is the woman that rides the beast? I don't think it's possible. I think the Catholic Church is one of those religious systems that has been corrupted from Babylon. And when you study that, I'm not... not Slamming Catholics here. I love Catholic people and I believe that there will be many Catholics in heaven in spite of the system. I really believe that. I've led many Catholics to Christ because many Catholics will come and they will, they will say, well, you know, we keep going to communion. How, how do you ever know? The tragedy is that many people, probably some of you, do not have the assurance of your salvation. I'm convinced from the scriptures that God wants you to know that you already have the gift of eternal life, that your sins are already forgiven. We're not talking just your past sins. I don't know about you, but I don't worship a Savior that died on half a cross. Just one arm reaches into the past. I mean, how many of my sins were future when Jesus died? All. No, he died once for all, the Bible says. And God wants you to have assurance of your salvation. And if you don't, if you'd really like to know, I'd love to talk with you afterwards. I would love to do that. But uh, this, is, this is fascinating. I do not believe that she is the Roman Catholic Church. I believe that uh, her system has been corrupted. We've all been corrupted by the world, haven't we? God help us all. 
On that last part about the assurance of salvation, that's certainly a heartbeat here at our church. And I know Bill Hinckley and others at our church, uh, these are free. They're in the back. These are the Gospels of John. At the end of the Gospel of John, it was said that these things are written that you might believe, that you might know. You look all these signs in the Gospel of John that you might know you have eternal life. And so uh, we put out the Gospel of John because it was a Gospel written specifically that you might know you have everlasting life. And the gift of everlasting life is detailed so clearly in the Gospel of John. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is assurance. Amen? Amen.